Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. in my time, but never one like the War Wagon. The War Wagon is a story about friendship and understanding. You're worth 12,000 to me. Dead. And 100,000 alive. The War Wagon is a story of happiness. <laughs> it offers you a little action. Generosity. <laughs> a little fighting. The war wagon is a story of humility. Mine hit the ground first. Mine was taller. In addition to Kirk Douglas, we have Howard Keel, a mighty colorful Indian. Robert Walker, an expert with high explosives. Keenan Wynn. <laughs> Joanna Barnes. What's your pleasure? Stud. And good old Bruce Cabot. I want Tor Jackson dead. Keep your eyes off of my wife. Your wife? Oh, I thought she was your daughter. Well, she ain't. A drunk kid and a crazy old man. How the hell did I get out, all of you? I didn't bring you here to be the best of friends. We're an inch away from gunning each other down, but first we have to take the war away. this picture is all about. How a handful of men can work up the guts and ingenuity to tackle a fortress on wheels. Look at those horses, what are they dragging? Heavily guarded, what is that wagon? War wagon, what is it for? War wagon, what is it men are fighting for us, struggling for searching for us, striving for a wagon full of I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our shows, you can go to our archive page, NostalgicRadioAndCars.com. Good evening, Bobby. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. You know what I think I did? I forgot my thumb drive again. That's oh, okay. that's okay. Anyway. Hey. Huh? We got, we got, we got other, we, we got, got other, other thumb drives. drives. We got other thumb drives. <laughs> yeah. I only got a drawer full of them. Yeah, I probably got a drawer full of them. You never know. Hey, Tom, how you doing tonight? 
Hey, I'm just great. Yeah. Hey, so we got some great weather out there today. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, what was that noise? Nobody, nobody's, nobody's that gonna, rings a bell. That rings a bell. <laughs> I better turn this phone off before I uh, get called here. Anyway, yeah. hey, we got a super show for you tonight. We got a very, yeah. very special guest coming on this evening. Looking forward to it. Yep. And uh, and if and if you don't know already, that means you haven't checked Facebook, and that's yes. not a, that's not a very good thing. You need to go check our Facebook page. That's exactly right. So we're here in the comfort of our studio in downtown Clearwater. Lemony scented. Uh, yeah, lemony scented. Uh, oh, where's our scrubby bubbles? Who, uh, now, who's our? Who now, do we have tonight? Now we, we've we've changed the Publix. So we we've have to changed build, the Publix. Publix now. Okay, Publix well, lemon fresh. Lemon fresh. Okay, so this uh, COV deal is. Uh, oh, somebody. Uh, okay, uh, go ahead and put Charlie <laughs> on the phone. We'll uh, we'll, we'll take <laughs> Charlie's the, the call. Doctor, <laughs> hey, the Charlie, doctor. what's up? Hey, you guys being safe? Everybody doing good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're. Hey, we're I keep... just wanted to give out the uh, shout to my buddy Al. He's you know he's driving around that crappy Volvo. I finally put a bidet in there, so now you can crap <laughs> in a crappy Volvo. That's about it, guys. I'll see you later. Have okay, a good day. that's uh, if Alan's <laughs> listening, I know I'm going to get a return phone call here on that one. A bidet, okay. Uh, yeah, no, he said bad day, didn't he? Is that what he said, or did he say bidet? Yeah, you're having a bad day for driving a Volvo. Okay, well, anyway, uh, yeah, you know, you got to turn it around. A little bit. You know, yeah, make, make it positive. <laughs> make it positive. Yeah, you say you take lemons and you make lemonade. But or anyway, lemon scented wipes <laughs> and lemon scented wipes. Okay, so it sounds like this uh, COV, whatever the thing is called, is kind of dying down a little. People are getting over it because uh, I know when I came to Clearwater yesterday, traffic was like yeah. crazy. Of course, yesterday was what Memorial Day, so I hope mm-hmm. everybody had a great Memorial Day. Had got to spend some time with their families and celebrate what the day was for mm-hmm. for our, our fallen soldiers mm-hmm. and those who put their lives on the line. So we can have this great American country here and yeah. uh, make America great again yeah. and make things in America again. So, and be, Or make barbecue that this is, comes from the Red oh, Shack yeah, Barbecue. Oh, yeah, yeah, Now, that's, that's – I think barbecue is American. Yes, it, it is. That's and uh, the Red Shack Barbecue will take care of you tomorrow uh, since it's past 4 o'clock today. Uh, they'd yep. be happy to smoke something up for you there. Mm-hmm. Um, check, check out their menu, ribshackbarbecuelargo.com. So what's up with FLACarshows.com? I know we had Tara well, yes, Bush on last week. So and, uh, uh, Yep, go back to YouTube and watch that if you want to get our whole uh, conversation down again. Uh, you can you got plenty of time to listen to that. Um, basically, uh, June is what she's kind of seeing. But if you're a promoter out there for a car show, please... You know, send her an email, give her a call, let her know that if you know if you're still doing it, if you're doing a, uh, a neighborhood cruise or something like that for the remainder of the month or something like that. Please let her know because she can put that up there. It's still considered a car show, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's driving around the neighborhood, whether it's a video, whether it's Zoom. It's all a car show. It's all about cars. So let her know, and she'll put it up there. Yes, and get it, you know, if if things are going to start taking off here in June, which better is get, good, you got uh, about <laughs> another week to get your to car back on, on the road. <laughs> yeah, you better re wrenching really, really, really quick because uh, we actually got uh, well, we got a couple cars ready to go, so we'll be out there cruising around. Looking forward to it. And uh, I know that uh, it seems like I see more and more cars out there. Actually, I see more motorcycles out there than mm-hmm. anything else. It seems like the motorcycle crowd is just busy, 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 right? And a big shout-out to our friends up there at Crystal River, Harley-Davidson, because I was hanging out with those guys. In fact, quick story, a real quick story. I was walked in there because I'm doing an appraisal, uh, a total loss report on a um, – on a Harley-Davidson motorcycle, right? So naturally, when I do these reports, I always go to the dealership. I am a licensed independent car dealer, so basically when I do my reports, my reports are pretty pretty well documented because I look at it from a dealer's perspective. I don't look at cars or motorcycles or boats or anything like that from the insurance side. I look at what does it take to indemnify, fully indemnify, which means make you, the claimant, whole again, okay? At any rate, so while I wandered into the dealership, uh, I, I was working on a bike that was 2007 Harley-Davidson. It was a former police bike, okay? And then it was converted to a show bike. And then it was purchased by the second owner, and then it was modified. Anyway, long and short of it is, is I needed to get some information. Now, here's how this works on valuation. If you've got a bike, okay, make sure on your insurance policy you always 
particularly if it's a vintage bike or if it's a classic bike or a specialty bike or specialty car, classic car, whatnot, make sure you go with agreed value. Make sure you and that insurance agent, you understand you guys are on the same page, agreed value. That means if anything happens to that bike or that boat or that car, you get paid out an agreed amount and your premiums are based on that, okay? I cannot overemphasize that. Nothing else matters, no stated value, no ACV. Those are generic terms that the insurance company turns around ACV is actual cash value. That's what we use as dealers. If I trade your car and you give me your car and I give you $5,000 for your car, I wrote you a check, actual actual cash value is what I gave you for the car, okay, or the boat, or the motorcycle, or whatever. All right, you don't do ACV until after the fact. It's ACV once it's done. I mean, the actual, when I agreed to give you that much money, that's the ACV, okay? The insurance companies kind of, I don't know how they use that term. They, they shouldn't. It's not really part of their lingo or jargon, but at any rate, so I had to get some information on some bikes, and uh, so I walked in the heart of Davidson dealership, and it turns out that the salesman was a former Indianapolis State Patrol, okay? And this guy was telling me some of the stories that he used to do as a state trooper. And he wasn't a motor. A motorcycle cop or uh, patrolman is considered a motor officer, or motor for short, okay? So I learned that while I was doing this report. I did not know that. You know, so if you watch Chips on TV, you know, CHP, or CHPS, whatever it is. Okay, chips. Okay, they were motors or motor officers. Like well. those half man, half motorcycle guys? Uh, yeah, <laughs> something like that. But anyway, so long and short of it is um, they had a police bike on uh, uh, in their dealership. And the way it used to be is part of 2007, you had to be law enforcement, military, whatever, to be able to get a bike. And today, the way it works is if they order a bike, a police bike in, and they order the next one, for example, and it sits on the showroom for 30 days, and no police department, no department claims it or says they need it, then they can sell it to the public. Now, the police bikes, just like the cars, you know, they got a little heavy-duty oil cooling system, a few little extra goodies in the bike, heavy-duty electrical system, charging system, and so on and so on and so on. So I needed to get all that information because I had to educate because I don't know everything about everything, okay? And in and, and all fairness to, you know, those of us that appraise cars, you don't know everything. And, you know, every, set of every vehicle is different. So you have to, you have to school yourself. Anyway, so, uh, but, this, but this patrol one was pretty cool. So uh, his name was Richard. So a big shout-out to Richard up there at Crystal. Uh, Harley Davidson. Davidson. Yeah. Now, I think what we're going to do is we're going to fire up the stereo because we're going to get our guests on in here a few minutes. So uh, we're going to go with a little Southern rock theme. And I think we got a little Blackfoot here. And how about uh, even though it's the evening, we're going to play a little Good Morning. This is by Blackfoot. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio Cars. That's a doubt. We will be right back. the best brews in Tampa Bay at Dunedin Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunedin Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at dunedinbrewery.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Okay, we're back. You're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your show host, 
Robert, my uh, armrest just went down. Oh. I had a little butt here, and I always push it. So, Bob. It's like a, it feels like a ejector seat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I was thinking about this during the break there, during that song, and um, I guess I have to tell one of these stories. Okay, so State Trooper sits there and tells me the stories that he used to drive a – I asked him about quotas, okay? This is his take on it. Now, he's from Indiana, okay, and he used to work in the Annapolis area, Greenwood area, which is where Bob Glidden is from. And uh, the drag racer for you guys out there that are car guys. Um, and uh, he was telling me he used to drive an unmarked car. Now, in order to get an unmarked car, you had to ticket so many people. And he told me, he says, 28 days of the pay period. I'm giving it out to secrets here, Rick, okay? So this is what you told me, all right? So anyway, so uh, 28 days of the pay period, we have to give 300 tickets, minimum. And a few more. There's no limit to how many, but the minimum is 300. So he figures that. I said, well, wait a minute. That's like 10 tickets a day. He says, yeah. He says, I wanted to get in that unmarked car, so we have to ride a few more. I said, ah. Oh. And then in order to maintain that unmarked car status, we had to ride a bunch more. So he says, what I used to do is I used to drive around in a 95, 96 Camaro RS with a for sale sign in the back. And I would wear a cutoff T-shirt on my left sleeve so they couldn't see that I was a cop. And I go, you know, that's called entrapment. He goes, no, it's not. I said, yes, it is. And because uh, if I come blown by you, he says, well, let me tell you a quick story. I had a guy in a Corvette pull up beside me one time. And I was in the Camaro, and we were doing on the interstate there. And uh, he just kind of like would uh, give me the usual rev, rev, um, um, you know, like. And I said, all right, so um, um. So I ran this guy till about 110 miles an hour. Then I backed off, and I jucked, tucked in behind him, and I flipped them lights on. And them gumball machines were going, and I nailed that guy. So when we went to court, you know, he basically took the position that you just did. That's entrapment. And I said, no. I said, because I, he didn't have to race me. And I said, you didn't have to race him. You egged him on. You enticed him. You set him up. That's entrapment. He goes, no. He took off first, and I just followed him. So, you know, again, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. You know. The jury's still out on that one. I'd say it's entrapment because he basically was decoyed all the way up on that one. You know, if you're driving a car with a for sale sign on the back, and you got a cut-off sleeve on the side to hide, hide your deal, here's the other thing he told me. He says, if you ever get pulled over by an unmarked police officer, law enforcement agent, and he is not in uniform, he cannot issue you any kind of citation. Did not know that. And I have a story about that, which is a long one, but I will say that I got pulled over by an unmarked, off-duty sheriff one time when I was not really racing, but I was kind of hot-dogging. And little did I realize that he could not give me a citation, although I had already been pulled over by the city police. Plenty, the, the plenty of marked ones. Yeah, yeah, I got to pull over by an unmarked Hillsborough cop. Anyway, so this was over in Hillsborough County. Anyway, long and story, long and short of it is. There you go, Tampa Bay. There you go, Tampa Bay. <laughs> say, 60, say 60 on State Road 60. Yeah, 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 yeah. 60 on State Road 60. Oh, yeah. He also told me, too, that when, uh, and, and I, I a couple of friends of mine are FHP and uh, local cops and stuff, and they tell me that we will let you slide, depending on the area, 10 miles an hour with no problem over the speed limit, unless you're in a school zone or a residential area like that. There's no no tolerances there, zero tolerance. And sometimes on the highway, we'll let you go 15 over, you know. And I know that if you're 10 miles over the speed limit, that's considered reckless driving. So I might do the 10 or the 9.999, you know, under the, over the speed limit, but I don't know if I'd go 10 Depending on the officer, that's what he, they always say that. What well, depends on the officer? It's discretionary. I said discretionary. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, so use your cruise control wisely. <laughs> use your cruise control wisely. I know when I'm on the interstate, I usually when I used to go with a good buddy of mine, and I'll big shout out to Mike uh, Flynn over there at Hollywood Wheels. Mike would mandate that I did not exceed 75 miles an hour. Kelly, I know you're listening, because I just saw a little text from you. But anyway, um, yeah, Mike would make sure I didn't do that. Now, I had a tendency to go a little faster. He'd also make sure I was wearing my glasses, particularly when it was when the sun no, was going I, down. I make sure you wear your glasses. <laughs> make sure I, yeah, I can't see at night anymore like I used to. My dis, I, I, I can see distance. I need readers and cheaters, whatever they call them. But at night, I really need to wear glasses to drive. But yeah, I kind of... Uh, Again, it depends on what you're driving. If I'm driving something kind of cool and sporty, I have a tendency to just kind of walk the limit. If I'm driving that big, heavy F550 dual ba- rollback, I can barely get that thing over 45 miles an hour sometimes. I'm in the right lane, just puts it like an old blue hair. No offense to blue hairs, if you know what a blue hair is. But anyway. That'll be a trivia question. That'll be a trivia question. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and we're going to fire up the stereo here again. And we're going to get a special guest on. So I want you guys to dig down deep in your closets, grab your amplifiers and guitars. And if you're in the drums, because we got a really cool musician coming on here in a few minutes. And uh, hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Wheel of Cars. 
Here's a little uh, shorty bedlock and train train with Blackfoot. Tune into Nostalgic Wedding Cars. Be right back. Take me on out of this town. Train, train. Take me on out of this town. I'm leaving old Jacksonville. Boy, I am Memphis so you'll know my word of death is true and that my word of life is then true the bear lives here the wolf, the antelope, the Comanche, and so will we now we'll only hunt what we need to live on same as the Comanche does and every spring when the grass turns green and the Comanche moves north you can rest here in peace butcher some of our cattle and jerk beef for the journey the sign of the Comanche. That will be on our lodge. That's my word of life. And your word of death? It's here in my pistols, there in your rifles. I'm here for either one. These things you say we will have. We already have. That's true. I ain't promising nothing extra. I'm just giving you life and you're giving me life. And I'm saying that men can live together without butchering one another. said that governments are chiefed by the double tongues and there is iron in your words of death for all Comanche to see and so there is iron in your words of life no signed paper can hold the iron it must come from men the words of ten bears carry the same iron of life and death it is good that warriors such as we meet in the struggle of life or death Shelby Life. Hey, everybody. This is Mark Farner, the founding member of Grand Funk Railroad, and I'm listening to Nostalgic Radio in Cars, where they'll knock you alive. 
Okay, we're back, and uh, you're tuned into Nostalgic Game Cars, and it's time to introduce our very special guest for the evening. This gentleman is the legendary lead guitarist for one of the greatest Southern rock bands, Leonard Skinner, and he's also the founding member of Blackfoot. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Ricky Medlock. Ricky, how are you? I am very well. How about yourself? Pretty good. So you're a native Floridian from Jacksonville, Florida, right? I am flow-grown and flow-bred. Yes. <laughs> Well, interesting. So why don't you share with our listeners a little uh, background about yourself? Now, I, I, I played a little clip there of uh, your grandfather, Shorty Medlock, playing a little train train with uh, Blackfoot back in the day. So uh, tell us yeah. the correlation there. Well, my first of all, I was raised by my grandparents. And um, my grandfather, Shorty, uh, when he was a young boy, uh, all the way back, uh, he was born in 1912, and he grew up uh, on a sharecropping farm. And uh, his folks were all sharecroppers, and um, across the road from them uh, was another family, a, uh, an African-American family, that also worked the fields along with them. And um, uh, that family played music. My grandfather's family were all musicians, played music. And uh, they would get together, you know, on a Sundays and cook and play music, and, you know, be, uh, you know, it'd be like a together thing, you know. And uh, this is kind of where he learned, uh, you know, the thing about the Delta Blues. My, my old man was really a, a really kind of a, Del- he was a Delta Blues country player. And um, he had, you know, he grew up playing music and had his own bands and played in and out of Nashville with a lot of your country people that was touring. And, uh, and I've often said many times that he was far more talented than, than I ever thought about being because he played a lot of different instruments. And not only did he play them, but he played them really well. He was a great musician. Uh, banjo, five-string banjo was one of his mainstay specialties, but he was a great uh, fiddle player. He was a great guitar player, dobro, mandolin. Uh, I mean, he was just an all-well-rounded you know, musician. And, um, of course, being raised in that kind of environment, uh, I grew up listening to a lot of the old Delta blues, country bluegrass stuff. And, you know, just as a young mind, I wanted to to emulate what he did, you know. And uh, I took up playing, uh, oddly enough, when I was three years old, he bought me a miniature banjo and taught me to play a miniature five-string banjo. Um, and one of the earliest things that I did as a child, um, I was able to play alongside of him. And what he did was he was on a country music show called the Toby Dowdy Show. And that originated in simulcast in the 50s, uh, starting around 52, 53. And it simulcast out of Jacksonville and went all over the southeast. Um, he was on there as a regular when he wasn't on the road. He was a regular musician on there. And, and so he had taught me a couple of songs to play with him. And what he did was he went to Toby and he said, look, he goes, my grandson has learned how to play alongside of me. Uh, what if I brought him on the show and, uh, you know, grandfather and grandson played a song together on the show and Toby was like that would be fine bring him on so I went on there and played a song with him now this is when in Jacksonville this is when what is now WJXD back then was WMBR and I went on there and played alongside him and the response to it was really great great enough to where I appeared on the show for five years with him. Wow, that's amazing. Up until I was eight years old. Now, in that 
time period, I learned how to play guitar when I was like started started out when I was about five years old. Uh, took up playing drums when I was eight. Learned how to play mandolin. Learned how to play some keyboard stuff. I wanted to do what he did, and and one of his pieces of advice for me was was that you know probably in your day, Ricky. Um, nobody's going to want, you know, an all-round, well, you know, all-round musician that plays a little bit of everything. He said, why don't you, you know, whatever's closest to your heart and whatever you love more doing, stick with that and, you know, excel in that, well, which was the guitar. I love playing the guitar, you know, at a young age. And, um... I enjoyed, actually enjoyed playing drums. And later on, the enjoyment of playing drums would later pay off in my life. Um, when I was in the early Blackfoot in 1969, going into 70, um, we had moved up to New Jersey and we were living in New Jersey. And... Uh, I was kind of dissatisfied and disheartened by the way the band was going, and there was some personal uh, conflicts within the band and uh, with management and, you know, between management and uh, the rest of the band members, all but one band member, because the one band member was personally involved with the management. So I happened to have Alan Collins' phone number. And I called Alan. And I said, Alan, it's Ricky Medlock. And he was like, hey, man, how are you? I went, well, uh, I'm living up in New Jersey. And I said, I was calling to see if you guys maybe needed a roadie or somebody to set up your equipment or drive your truck or, you know, whatever. Um, I'm looking for a gig. And he said, well, let me ask you this. Do you still play drums? Well, I hadn't sat on a set of drums in, in a pretty good while. Probably maybe a year, you know. Because before Blackfoot, I was in a group called Fresh Garbage. Named after the old song by a group called Spirit. And I was the drummer in the band and behind the drums well I said yeah I'll still play drums and he said well we're losing our drummer you need to call Ronnie and talk to Ronnie so he gave me Ronnie's number <coughs> pardon me and um, I called Ronnie and Ronnie kind of asked me the same thing he was like Ricky how, do, how in the world are you I said I'm okay I'm just really dissatisfied with my situation and Alan tells me that you know call you because you guys might be looking for a drummer he goes no we are looking for a drummer our drummer is leaving us and we need to be ready in two weeks because we're going to Muscle Shoals Alabama and start our first record and I said well I'll take the gig so I was living at a band house up there in New Jersey kind of a commune type thing where there was quite a few bands and there was all kind of drum sets and everything and I started rushing up on chops and all that stuff and they sent me a plane ticket and I flew down to Florida with nothing but my guitars that I had because I sold off all the rest of my gear to have some money in my pocket and I took my guitars and I flew on down to Jacksonville. They picked me up at the airport, and we went by my parents' house. And, you know, that's when Ronnie really sat down and was able to start talking with my old man Shorty about the blues. And uh, from that moment on, uh, that night I dropped my stuff off, and I said hello to my mom and dad, told them I was home to stay. And uh, we went out to Green Coast Springs and started rehearsing. Uh, all the material that would later on become uh, that would be put out after the plane disaster. 
would be put out called Leonard Skinner's first and last, and also Leonard Skinner, the Muscle Shoals Specialist. And um, the rest is history. When you uh, when you were um, doing the 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 deal with uh, Leonard Skinner there, what what I read a lot about Muscle Shoals. Was that a like a real like popular? Recording studio because it really was it was in Alabama. It's not really Nashville or anything like that. It's Alabama. And it's kind of an odd place to have a recording studio. Was it mainly like blues and and uh, and southern music oriented and musicians? Well, it was actually the deal with that whole thing. Muscle Shoals was on the bank. It's a town that is. It's they call it the Tri City. Mm-hmm. And. Um, uh, it, it's it, what was interesting was started out uh, with a with a studio called Fame Studio. The guy named Rick Hall started, and uh, Jimmy Johnson, David Hood, Barry Beckett, and Roger Hawkins. They were the uh, they were the rhythm section. They were basically the studio musicians where a lot of your R and B artists came to record. Uh, you know, Wilson Pickett and, and uh, of, of people like that, of that genre. Um, and it wasn't until um, um, the guys that were the rhythm section, they decided they got in, in good with Jerry Wexler of Atlantic Records. Jerry Wexler said, why don't you guys do your own studio? You know, I'll bring artists that's on Atlantic, such as Aretha Franklin, uh, et cetera, you know. I'll bring them in there and, you know, record their records that we're putting out on Atlantic. Um, and that's how Muscle Shoals Sound started at 3614 Jackson Highway. Out of all that, then a lot of little studios started popping up around in that town. And the next thing you know, you've got artists coming to Muscle Shoals Sound like the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Rod Stewart and Bob Seeger. And all these people wanted to come to Muscle Shoals because of the sound that they were getting at the studio and the rhythm section. The studio musicians were class. I mean, they were top-notch. Well, that's you know, one of the things that drew us there, we had management at the time, and I won't mention the name because I'm not too fond of it, but anyway, beside the point, uh, knew, you know, the people at Muscle Shoals and got us in there to be able to start recording with Jimmy Johnson and David Hood. And we cut all that early stuff, and that, on that record in those Muscle Shoals sessions, that's actually me on drums uh, through all those sessions, you know, those songs. Even some rhythm guitar, some lead vocals, uh, backing vocals, acoustic guitar. Um, and that's where we had the relationship with Muscle Shoals Sound. And we loved recording there. We loved going to Alabama and recording at that studio. And we fell in love with it. It had a vibe and a feel that fit us. It was really down home. I mean, you know, we used to brag about you can't beat the pecan pie <laughs> in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. <clears throat> Pardon me. And um, so we, you know, that was our relationship starting there. It lasted, you know, a great, a great while. And... Um, then, you know, in, what was it, late 72, going in 73, I opted out of the band to go back and start playing guitar and singing because I told Ronnie that, you know, that I felt in my heart that they needed somebody better than me, uh, a lot more powerful drummer than I was. And Ronnie, Gary, and Alan really liked the way I played drums because I was in the pocket. I laid the field down. I laid the, the bait, you know, the the floor down for, for them to be able to perform on. But 
for me inside personally, it really, I, I, I enjoyed playing drums. I didn't love playing drums. I, uh, I wasn't in love uh, with the art of playing drums, but I was in love with playing guitar. And uh, standing up, you know, and playing guitar and singing and so forth and so on. So I opted out. I went back and reformed Blackfoot after all the stuff, the mess had been cleaned up in that. And, uh, you know, the guys went on to have success. And I'll tell you, it's interesting, going back to my old man, Ronnie, Gary, and Alan used to come over to my parents' home all the time. And... I actually talk about this in the documentary um, that we did uh, here in the last several years. Uh, there's there's me on the porch, you know, with my old man, um, you know, of my old man, old lady where they used to live. <laughs> and I'm talking about how Ronnie, Gary, and Alan would come over there and we, all of us would sit with my old man and my old man and play the blues for the guy. And, uh, you know... Ronnie, that was a big inspiration for him enough to where, you know, the inspiration between uh, going down to the going down to the store and seeing an old man down there playing, he drew his inspiration from my old man about the blues and drew enough of it to write Curtis Lunt. Right, right. And, uh, well, and another thing, you know, my old man used to tell us, you know, if you boys keep doing what you're doing, one of these days, you're going to have it fade the shade. Well, if you look on the Nothing Fancy record, uh, Ronnie and the guys dedicated uh, the Nothing Fancy album to my old man and wrote a song. Ronnie and them wrote a song called Make the Shade. Right. And they dedicated it to my old man. So um, a lot of personal stuff uh, between me and the guys uh, and, and a lot of you know, a lot of history, uh, me, you know, in Leonard Skinner. And I really feel, you know, I made moves in my life where I really feel like it was supposed to be that way because, you know, Blackfoot went on to break the market with platinum success. Uh, I had platinum success uh, with Leonard Skinner before that with that you know, with that first and last record. And the next thing you know, the Blackfoot thing ran it, of course. Um, I kept the name and, and had a version of the band going up until, you know, like 95, going into 96. And uh, I was asked to come back to Leonard Skinner, and I've been there ever since, you know. Here I am since 95 into 2020, and... <laughs> 25 years later, I'm sitting here talking to you. Going strong. Ricky, take us to the origin of Southern Rock, because, you know, I, I was listening to some interviews, and, and, I mean, you are an amazing. When I was watching some of the videos of, you know, Leonard Skinner, but also a lot of your early Blackfoot days when you guys were live and traveling around the country. But uh, you referenced, you know, Molly Hatchet, uh, you know, um, uh, some of the other bands, um, the Outlaws, which are actually out of Clearwater area here. And, and, and Huey used to be with the Outlaws. And I think later he went with, with uh, Leonard Skinner. Mm -hmm. But take us to the origin of Southern, Southern Rock, because it's, it's got a flair. Because in one of the interviews, you were talking about 60s music, 70s music, you know, the Southern Rock thing, and then, of course, 80s, the hair bands, and, you know, the grunge, and so on and so on. But I want to hear right. your take on it again, and, and, and tell our listeners, because that's actually pretty cool. Well, understand, you know, uh, I, I guess, first of all, when you say Southern Rock, you know, all of a sudden the Allman Brothers, they got a deal and they put a record out. Now, the Allman Brothers I always considered a Southern kind of a boogie jam band, but mm -hmm. they were ladled, thickly ladled in the blues. I mean, Greg Allman, you couldn't get a finer uh, blues singer than Greg Allman. Uh, he just had that voice that you could recognize. I loved listening to him. Uh, to me, he was one of the finest blues singers that ever lived. <laughs> and especially in our genre, in our era, 
when it was called Southern Rock. Well, all of a sudden, Leonard Skinner broke the scene in 73, and you had all these record companies coming down to Jacksonville, especially Jacksonville, and the South. And actually, the record labels themselves labeled it Southern Rock. Okay. We just, we always considered ourselves, you know, just a rock band. But the next thing you know, Southern Rock kind of caught on with multitudes of audiences. It was something brand new. So, of course, what we're, I mean, who are we to argue with, you know? That's what you want to call it. Call it Southern Rock. The interesting part about it all is is that Allman Brothers sounded one way, Skinner sounded their own thing, the Outlaws had their own thing, and then you turn around and you look at Blackfoot. Blackfoot was more of a heavy, like uh, a heavy British metal band. Um, Johnny likes to joke and say that he always thought Blackfoot was the original Southern metal band because we we did we did take our influences from a lot of your heavy bands uh, from Europe, uh, Cream and. and uh, Zeppelin and uh, all those kind of bands that that was our big influence uh, putting our sound together Deep Purple but I think you mentioned records, Deep... <laughs> go ahead I think you mentioned Deep Purple too at one point in one of your interviews oh you're, yeah you're, man I mean Richie Blackmore and I, and, we, and I got to be friends with the guys in Deep Purple uh, as a matter of fact when their Perfect Strangers record came out we were the opening band for their Perfect Strangers tour over here in America for six weeks. Oh, wow. And um, we just, we love being a part of something different. Um, it, got to, it, it got to where we refused to tour uh, with an American band unless they were just heavy rock. Um, you know, one of the, I mean, even though they were kind of a pop rock band, that was the lightest band we ever toured with, which was Barnett. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, we, we were always out with people like Nugent and uh, ACDC and Iron Maiden, uh, Scorpion. I mean, the list goes on, man. I mean, we, we toured with a lot of those, all those bands. And we felt at home there. We felt like we fit in like that. Um, so the, the whole term Southern Rock really actually came from the record label. They're the ones that kind of started that whole thing. And we were like, oh, okay, we're Southern Rock. There you go. <laughs> well, it does have a, but I mean, when you look at all those bands, you know, like the Henry Paul Band and, and, uh, and, uh, who did Fire on the Mountain there? That was Marshall, Marshall Tucker. Tucker. Yeah. When you listen, you guys, you Southern rock bands, and I say that affectionately, okay, because I'm in the South now too with you guys. I listened to a lot of that in yeah. the 70s, and it has a certain style to it, and it has a certain sound to it. It's not like a West Coast sound. Yeah. I'm a huge Doors fan, okay? So, you know, you, you look at the West Coast bands out there and, and uh, you know, like um, uh, Quicksilver Messenger and people like that, and Santana, because I'm from the Bay Area, originally San Francisco area. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's, those are, that's the music I grew up. When I came to Florida in the 70s, and I heard the Southern Rock thing, of course, the Outlaws being local guys here out of Clearwater, I thought, wow, that's pretty cool, and I really got into that. And then, you yeah. know, you guys came along and let her skin I mean, in 73, when I was driving my car, Sweet Home Alabama, that was it, you know, and Freebird. Those are the, sure. that was it. That was the radio play. I got to ask you this real quick, because we've got a few minutes left. Your, your, uh, your guitars of choice, I know you play a lot of Les Pauls, but you also play that, uh, and your Gibson guy sounds like, because you play the Explorer. And uh, those are your two. Well, the, the, you know, the Explorer, honestly, man, I'm a Gibson guy, and I've always been a Gibson guy. The Explorer has always been one of my, or basically my B signature uh, guitar that I've always played on stage other than <clears throat> a reverse body Firebird, Gibson Firebird, or Les Paul. Uh-huh. But everybody knows 
you know, I, I have talked to so many young adults before in my life that says, you influenced me so much to buy and explore, you know? And uh, it's amazing because I, I've, I've talked to so many young adults that, that have told me that, that have shown me pictures of them holding a, holding their own Explorer and, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that makes me feel good because, uh, I don't know. I, I, it, it has a certain thing that I think when you look at me, that Explorer just fits me. Um, and, and it's, you know, I love it. I love that guitar. Uh, I also have, like I said, I love a reverse body firebird and I've got a actual prototype, uh, of the firebird that was made early on, you know, that was, uh, the, the beginnings of the firebird before the production models came out. I've got one, I've got one of nine made. Oh, wow. And I still play it on stage, believe it or not. Uh, my parents gave it to me for, you know, my birthday and, and, um, I still play it on stage. People think I'm crazy, uh, to have that, my original Explorer out on the road and original Les Pauls. But my old man told me, he goes, you know, if you're going to buy something like that, take it out and play it. Don't sit it at home just to look at, you know? And, um, I've always been that way. I love playing those guitars i really do it I, i'm looking right now i'm sitting in my house and i'm looking at four of them <laughs> i got a guitar i got guitars in the rooms where i can just walk by them and pick them up sit down and play them for a little while and you know set them back down you know what i mean oh absolutely uh, and uh i love all my old vintage stuff i guess uh you know my 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 uh better half and my daughter's going to have a good time with them after I leave this whole world. and <laughs> That'll secure their future for sure. But uh, anyway, um, I am a Gibson guy. I love Gibson, man. My old man was a Gibson guy, and it just kind of filtered into me, you know? Yeah. Ricky, we are up against the clock, but I would love to have you on again sometime because I want to talk a little bit more about you know the the industry a little bit, some of your music, writing, um, some of your other yeah. hobbies and stuff like that. Would you be willing to come back on again sometime and uh, hang I out with us? I would love to come back on. I would love to come back on. That sounds good. I'll look forward to it. Well, Ricky, I want to thank you very much for coming out here, and I hope you had a good Memorial Day the other day over the weekend. And uh, it was cool meeting you at Meekum there and hanging out with you for a few minutes and with all the other yeah, cool cool guitar stuff. But again, thank you very much for coming on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Look forward to having you on again, and uh, have a great week. You bet, man. And y'all be safe, be well, and uh, wear your mask. Wear your mask, okay. <laughs> and practice C, D, and G, right? Pick up a guitar. You got it. That's it. All right. Yeah. Hey, I want to thank my very special guest, Ricky Medlock, lead singer and vocalist and guitarist for Leonard Skinner, the world's greatest Southern rock band. Hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't forget, check us out here every Tuesday night on the Tan Talk Radio Network. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Bobby, you want to say that stuff? Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. Uh, replay the show. Yeah, check out our website, Gulfstream Motorsports. And don't forget, if you miss any of our past shows, NostalgicRadioCars.com. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Bring on to the other side. Bring on to WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.